Can I ask you something? What is it? You see anything down there? I saw the chasm passing me as I fell. I didn't realize it was so deep. It wasn't. The bombings from the purge must have triggered seismic activities. Did you see anything alive? Alive? Like what? Nothing. Let's get out of here. Archigar. Welcome to the 196th entertainingly entrapping episode of Metavision. Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small independent Star Wars podcast. In case you can't tell, I am getting over a awful, awful cold, and it has affected my voice very much. So I apologize, but we're going to power through this episode. Hopefully it's not too hard on the ears for you all. <laughs> I can only hope that it is somewhat easy to listen to still. Um... But we are going to make it because we have to talk about this week's episode, this week's chapter of The Mandalorian. And of course, we will also be talking about this week's episode of Star Wars The Bad Batch. A lot of things going on in the Star Wars universe this week, and we have to talk about all of these things immediately before something else changes. <laughs> and we have to, you know, whatever. We're going to get it. This is what we're here for. Whether uh, I, I have a cold or not, we will talk Star Wars. All right, remember the best way to find us is, of course, on social media. Please make sure you're following us on social media at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure you are liking, subscribing, following, and sharing this show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. How is everyone doing? Happy Mandalorian Wednesday. That doesn't roll off the tongue the way I wanted to. we got to figure that out. But Mando is out. The Bad Batch is out. And very, two very different episodes that I think any of us were maybe expecting heading into this week's worth of shows. Um, the Mandalorian changed gears on his big time this week. And, and the Bad Batch, I think, presented us with an episode that um, will allow them to change gears moving forward uh, for the next few episodes as they head into their season finale. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot of content, a lot of things to talk about in each of these episodes uh, and and I'm sort of intrigued to hear what the fans, what us viewers, uh, the audience in general, uh, thinks of these two episodes. 
early rumblings seem to indicate that many Mandalorian fans not happy with this episode. <laughs> many Bad Batch fans not happy with this episode. Um, so it's going to be... I'm going to do my best to talk about these shows and, and, and try to highlight what's interesting about them and why we should be paying a little bit more attention to them than maybe some percentages of the fandom are. Uh, a lot to unpack with this week's Mandalorian and a lot to, of... Uh, I don't know. I, not like It wasn't uh, for... Um, foreshadowing by any stretch, but the Bad Batch sets up some interesting dynamics as well in their in their episode this week too. So there's a lot to get into. I enjoyed these episodes a lot. I'm going to put it right there on Front Street. You know what kind of show this is. Um, I, 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 I accept these shows for what they are, and I love them for what they are. So you're not going to hear me bashing in on anything. If you're new to the podcast, that's not the show. That's not what we, what we do here. Get ready for a Star Wars love fest. Brace yourself. All right, let's just get into the shows proper, okay? We'll start with The Mandalorian, as we always do. And that is, uh, this week it is The Mandalorian Season 3 Chapter... Uh, ooh, boy. Let me try that again. The Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 3, Chapter 19, The Convert. Original air date today, March 15th, 2023. Written by John Favreau and Noah Clore. Someone stepping into the co-writing chair with John Favreau on this one. Directed by Lee Isaac Young. Our cast this week is Pedro Pascal... Latif Kreider, Brendan Wayne as the Mandalorian, Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan, and Omed Abti returning as Dr. Pershing, and Katie O'Brien stepping back as a, 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 a communications officer, former communications officer, officer Aaliyah Kane, formerly of Moff Gideon's cruise, battle cruiser, Star Destroyer, what, you know, just, whoo! So that was a callback. I, it took me a minute to actually jog my memory on the last time we saw that character. Uh, so, uh, our plot. On Coruscant, former Imperials find amnesty in the New Republic. And yes, that is a lot of what this week's episode focuses on. Focuses on Dr. Pershing after his time with Moff Gideon. And we get our first glimpse of what life is like for not just former Imperials, but like what is what is life in the New Republic like in a post-Return of the Jedi galaxy, right? This is our first time really going back to Coruscant. Uh, since the fall of the Empire. And there's a lot to take away from what we see and what we don't. Uh, a lot of the visuals are reminiscent of what we saw in Star Wars The Clone Wars at the time of the Republic. Um, but there's still... There's still a sort of malaise, and we'll talk about that as we get into the episode. So get ready. There's a lot to unpack in this one. So I want you to, to do what you got to do. You know what that means. It is time. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. Welcome to Amnesty Housing. It's paradise in comparison. This is G27, M40, G68. Doctor. Everything all right? I didn't expect to see anyone from Moff Gideon's ship here. Gideon. I didn't know you worked for him. I heard he escaped en route to the War Tribunal. No, that was just the cover story. I heard they hooked him up to a mind flayer. I try not to think about him anymore. Thanks to the rehabilitation program, I can contribute to the New Republic. Just like you. This week's installment of The Mandalorian is an episode that... Um, is a little bit challenging in the, in the sense that we 
as an audience are asking a lot more questions than they're willing to give us answers on just yet. There's a, a decent amount of table setting and teasing of things to come. But more importantly, you know, the questions we're asking is, is of the nature of like, you know, why? Why is this character doing this? Why is this character doing this? And then we get to expand on that. Like, what are their reasons for doing this? Who benefits? Who gains in these circumstances? Who gains in these situations? Um, and that's why this week's episode title kind of comes in and comes in, into play, right? The covert, obviously, the most um, covert, the convert. <laughs> Good lord, we're off to a rocky start here. My voice aside, um, the convert, obviously, the the, the straightforward uh, example of this character is 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 possibly Bo-Katan, who is now donning her helmet full time once again, and seems to be rather shaken by by witnessing the mythosaur down in the depths of the living waters in the mines of Mandalore. And, you know, obviously she is re-examining her faith in the, in the creed and, and looking at all these elements from her past and, and trying to decide her future based on what she saw, right? She has just seen something that is, is now going to require... Uh, a little bit of faith on her part, right? Which is something that she's been lacking for quite some time. Uh, because Din didn't see it. We confirmed that Din Djarin did not see the Mythosaur on the way back up like Bo did. So she's going to have to take these things on faith. And and how she interprets her seeing it and Din not uh, is going to play out, I think, in future episodes of the show. Uh, it also could refer to uh, Imperial former Imperial Communications Officer Elia Kane, who is she a convert to the ways of the New Republic? Or is that more dubious and, and shadowy than we think it is? Um, that's sort of one of the questions we have to have to answer. Initially, we could have thought it was it was it was Dr. Pershing himself as a convert to the New Republic ways, but Dr. Pershing might be in a state <laughs> after this week's episode. We're not quite sure where he's gonna land after his time. We'll talk about the end of the episode later. Don't worry. We'll get there. Let's focus on the opening of, the se- of this episode, where we go back to the Mines of Mandalore, mere moments after Bo-Katan rocketed Din Djarin up from the depths of the Living Waters. And, and Din's kind of still recovering, a little passed out still. And Bo is being quite reflective. Uh, she's silent. She's meditative. She's contemplative. She is ruminating on what she saw. If she saw what she thought, was she hallucinating? Did she imagine it? And again, this is one of those moments, you know, we're dealing with with uh, the, creed, the Mandalorian Creed as a religion, right? So this is one of those things. Do you take it on faith? Do you believe what you saw? Do you, do you have the faith that what you saw was there, right? <laughs> and and this, these are the things that Bo is now think, thinking of. She's contemplating. She's examining. She's looking back on her past. And when she walked away from the Creed, when she stopped believing and re-examining all these things. Now, again, we don't know exactly how long Din has been laying there, uh, kind of coming to his faculties, but, uh, uh, you know, th- there's probably a lot of thoughts rocketing, racing through Bo-Katan's head as, as he lays there, and she, she meditates on what she saw and thinks it over and examines and does all the things. But again, it's interesting that she's sitting there with her helmet still on her head. She has not removed her helmet, which is how we know Bo-Katan most of the time to be someone who takes that helmet on and off, willy-nilly. Now it is in her head. She's questioning that her beliefs and her faith and and wondering if, if 
she's been in the wrong all this time. And that uh, somebody like Dan, who's, who has believed, who has had faith, who follows the way, was in the right. So now she's doing the same thing. She's, again, she's not willing to take her helmet off and, and, and start to, to unbelieve what she just saw just yet. And, again, that comes into focus a little bit later on. But Din doesn't even notice it, doesn't comment, doesn't think anything of it. But the fact of the matter is, as the armor points out later in the episodes, Bo-Katan also bathed in the living waters. And she can now be considered a true Mandalorian again, too. And you have to wonder if that's going through Bo's head as well as she's thinking these things out, playing out scenarios, and maybe doing a little bit of plotting for future actions if that is something that she has in her head. All right, so as they leave the mines, as they leave Mandalore, and we head back to Kalevala, we come under attack by TIE interceptors. That's right, the, the distinctive whine of the twin ion engine screaming in space around our heroes. Uh, it is a welcome sound to these ears because that means space combat. <laughs> and I love me some space combat, and that is, hey, that is one of the key elements of Star Wars. And so we're going to get ourselves a battle here. But it doesn't stay in orbit for too long as they descend into orbit on Kalavala because they are vastly outnumbered, and they concoct a plan for Din to jump out and get into his N1 Starfighter to provide some aerial support. Uh, uh, the, the rear gun on... Bo-Katan's ship wasn't cutting the mustard, so they got to get some more firepower in the, into this battle. And so we get a great scene, Din jumping out, getting into the N1, and taking off just before uh, his ship can get blown up on the landing pad. Uh, and then we get a great aerial combat uh, on Kalavala through the rocky shoreline, through the caverns, through the tunnel. There's no tunnels, but you know what I mean. Um, the canyons, is, I think, is the word I was actually looking for there. Uh, it is... It's thrilling. It's, 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 it's exhilarating. It's, it's Star Wars, uh, uh, by and large, and, and at its purest form. And it's delightful and engaging and fun and, and insanely well shot. The visuals are spectacular on it. Uh, and then, ultimately, once our heroes defeat the Interceptors that, that were initially dispatched after them, oh, we find some more, and they're there. It's TIE Bombers, and they're blowing up Bo-Katan's castle on Kalavala. And as she goes to seek vengeance, we find even more TIE Interceptors. And we have to ask ourselves the question, well, whose TIE Interceptors are these? Who is after Bo-Katan right now? Now, again, she stole Imperial ships. She stole from somebody uh, in, in that Season 2 episode. And maybe they're just coming back for vengeance. Or maybe it's a faction of Moff Gideon's people that still believe in Moff Gideon's leadership and are executing Moff Gideon's vengeance for her role in his capture. There are a lot of scenarios to play out here, uh, and I suspect we will get answers sooner rather than later, but not in this episode. <laughs> so we'll have to wait and see just which Imperial it is uh, still involved here. And again, the, the return of Moff Gideon would not shock me. The rumors, they've been dropping rumors about Moff Gideon's fate uh, since the first episode of this season, that he's uh, escaped from New Republic custody and that he's at large in the Outer Rim and, uh, and all these various things. So Moff Gideon is still very much in play here, uh, as we do not know his ultimate fate. Uh, after the overwhelming Imperial forces come after them, Din does convince Bo to follow him to a safe haven uh, to, where they can go and sort of recollect themselves because they are in a no-win scenario. They are vastly outnumbered, outgunned, and there's no chance of winning here. So it's time for a strategic withdrawal to safe haven. Uh, and Bo 
reluctantly agrees. And that is where we get our title card and we shift our focus for this episode to the center of the New Republic as far as the government is concerned, but not the actual literal center of the galaxy as we are informed later in the episode. We return to Coruscant for the first time in a post-Return of the Jedi galaxy. Uh, And Coruscant is familiar and vibrant. Uh, It is still sort of 1% aristocratic snottiness going on as we see from various conversations that surround us. But we first catch up with uh, a, a scientist, Dr. Penn Pershing, who, the, the, the man who wanted to experiment on little Grogu, who was running some kind of cloning program on behalf of Moff Gideon. Um, and we find out that, we find out a little bit more about Pershing's uh, intentions, right? Like, he, he, he wanted to be a scientist to help his mother, right? He wanted to learn how to clone organs to save people's lives. And, you know, the Empire was the controlling power at the time, so he, his work was taken and used for nefarious purposes, probably the the eventual cloning of Emperor Palpatine, but I digress on that. Um, and, and, you know, we, we sort of get some backstory, right? Like we, we've always sort of suspected that Pershing was a dupe, that he wasn't necessarily uh, inherently evil. Um, he was just trying to use Grogu to, to further his research, but he never wanted to harm the child, quote-unquote, and, and and all these things as, as you know again he also helped Din liberate the child from Imperial custody though it's probably because he's a bit of a coward <laughs> and didn't want to die at Din Djarin's blaster um, but again we sort of fill in some backstory We've, we learn about the New Republic's amnesty program that they offer to former Imperial officers um, and again we get more questions I, I have a ton of questions about this amnesty program uh, particularly because I find it interesting that they're taking people like Dr. Pershing, these, these scientific minds, who, again, seem like they were doing work that would benefit everyone. It wasn't for the gain and the glory of the Empire. It was work that could benefit all beings across the galaxy. But they have stuck him in a sort of mind-numbing, bureaucratic job of nothingness. That's just no good wasteful waste of his resources of his skills of his talents and i think he sort of feels that way later on in the episode initially he seems to be uh willing to to sort of do his time pay his pay do what the republic needs of him right he's been to a rehabilitation center he's uh with the, with the idea being that uh you have to sort of be unindoctrinated from the empire so that you can be reintegrated into society as a as a uh, productive member of it but it's it's interesting to see Okay, so that's one aspect that's very interesting to focus on, right? Like the, the idea that imperial indoctrination occurs, that there's a sort of brainwashing effect, uh, and that you have to sort of be deprogrammed and deregulated from that. That's an interesting aspect of things to explore. Also is the notion that in this deprogramming, in this um, reintegration that the New Republic is doing, that they, they strip your identity, right? They sort of take you away as a person, and you are a, a letter and a number, and um, that's very, that feels very, you know, imperial bureaucracy of them. You know, it's, it's like, might as well assign them a chain code again, right? Uh, it's, it's, I think it shows that the New Republic is a failing bureaucracy already, right out of the gate. 
They're already doing things the wrong way. And, um, you know, not to go down too far of a rabbit hole, but that's always, if you are a long-time listener of this podcast, you have probably heard me make mention of this. To me, that is, in my opinion alone, one of the larger mistakes of the sequel trilogy is this idea that our heroes for episodes four, five, and six basically fought for nothing because the government that they installed was broken before it even got you know a chance to be entrenched and, and, and do anything. Um, but that's also sort of a, an interesting commentary on governments in general and bureaucracies in general. So take that for what it is as, as, as a commentary on uh, the failings of government and bureaucracy by and large. You can also obviously draw comparisons from this bureaucracy to the bureaucracy that we saw in Andor. Um, there, there's obviously comparisons to be made there. It's not quite as cold and, um, you know, 1984 or, or Wellian, I guess is the word I'll go with, as what they show us in Andor, but it's there. It's, it's sort of like, again, just mind-numbing, pencil-pushing bureaucracy at its finest. <laughs> and, and the comparison is, is there to be made. Uh, and it's interesting. And again, it, it's interesting to sort of look at the, the New Republic as, as a failing institution before it's even had a chance to establish itself. You know, it, uh, so much of the rebellion was built on ideals and beliefs, but when it comes to the practical day-to-day running of government, uh, it's not, your, your idealistic faith does not get you very far, <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say there. Uh, and no more, do you see that no more, no more finally pointed out than after Dr. Pershing is finishing his speech at uh, what I believe is the opera hall where Anakin and Palpatine had their, their uh, famous conversation from episode three. Which, by the way, it's interesting that Pershing is giving this speech about cloning technology and, and his, um, his research um, and then find out that he's not doing anything with it. I'm, so, I'm sort of wondering why he's given this platform to talk about all these things that he can't do anything about. Or is he is he merely presenting this as, as like a way of like hopefully turning uh, people more in favor of, of legitimizing cloning again? You know, because uh, it is banned by the New Republic, it is banned by the Alliance, it, or whoever. Uh, cloning is off the table, right? So is he giving a speech to sort of pitch the idea and the benefits of cloning organs and things like that, or is this merely just a, a table setting for us to kind of? understand Pershing a little bit better as a character. I'm very curious about that. But when he finishes that speech, when he comes down in all these sort of uh, one percenter aristocratic uh, Coruscantes are, are descending on him, uh, you know, there's the one who they're, they're, they're talking about the time that he was almost drafted. And he can't even keep straight which regime was in charge at the time. Was it the, the, the old Republic? Was it the Empire? Was it the Alliance? The new Republic? You know, he can't keep any of this stuff straight. And that sort of speaks to why uh, government will fail on Coruscant ultimately anyways, uh, because no one cares. There, there's a, a general apathy towards any sort of uh, reigning, governing body. Uh, and it's very, very interesting to think about in that regards. You know, it, this is the Mandalorian. It doesn't go quite into like the, the depths and complexities that Andor does. But for this show, it is, it is a massive uh, change of gears storytelling-wise uh, to, to begin to show this larger galaxy. And for us to begin to see the failings of the New Republic and, and, and for us to understand a little bit more, get a glean, a gleaning of, of why um, why the First Order will eventually be able to rise to power. Because 
this bureaucracy is is no good either. You know, and if you if you read any of the books set in the post Return of the Jedi world, like like Claudia Gray's Bloodline, uh, is another example of, of of why we know the New Republic is not going to work out in the long run, uh, because it's just it's it's it's, it's well, we'll just go with corrupt and broken. <laughs> it's a broken system, and 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 we're getting a glimpse of that very early on in the time of the New Republic in this episode of the show. Um. So yes, we spend the bulk of this episode with Doctor Pershing as we begin to explore his role in the Amnesty program, what his life is like, why, um, he is unfulfilled, I suppose, in a sense. Like he's he seems initially he seems happy to be doing this work. But as he meets up with former Moff Gideon communications officer, <laughs> Elia Kane, as she begins to sort of goad him, right? She sort of taunts him in, in, into um, believing that his work was important. Uh, it was of vital need and that the Republic should be grateful for this work. So he should resume it. She really does a good job of taunting him and sort of, of, of poking the bear a bit, right? Of making him feel that he's not being appreciated, he's not being fully utilized to his, his capabilities. He's being wasted. Uh, and in the sort of the breaking point for him becomes when, uh, at his bureaucratic job, he realizes that uh, he's assigning all this technology to be destroyed simply because it's imperial. And, and he feels like that's a massive waste of resources and that he sort of sees that in himself. He is a massive wasted resource right now as well. And so he goes to uh, to Elia, and she's offered to get him a, a mobile lab before, and he decides to take her up on that offer. And so we go on an adventure. Now, I do want to pause before we get to the adventure. When their friendship is first beginning, and they're walking the streets of Coruscant, and they're eating those glowing popsicles, um, we get some nice callbacks to things we've seen in Star Wars The Clone Wars, uh, particularly the, 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 the top of the mountain that pokes out through the scene uh, at Monument Center. And we've seen that in Star Wars The Clone Wars multiple times. Uh, but to see it sort of in quote-unquote real life, in live action, uh, was very cool. It was very interesting, very unique, very familiar settings. Um, and, and again, it sort of shows Coruscant in a way that's familiar to the Old Republic without the sort of the tyranny and the oppression of Coruscant during the time of the Empire. Um, but again, it sort of shows that life just goes on no matter who's really in charge. Um, and I thought that was interesting. I did like the bit where uh, he's attempting to touch the peak of the mountain, uh, and, and after again, after Aliyah sort, of, sort of goads him on to do it, and then the security droid comes and verbally warns him not to, sternly. <laughs> and again, these are, again, droids we saw in Star Wars The Clone Wars that do these sort of things. The security droids as well in the train are the security droids we saw throughout Coruscant in The Clone Wars. So seeing a lot of these things sort of incorporated or brought back uh, in the time of the New Republic is also very, very interesting, and I like it very, very much. So now we fast forward. We get to the heist. Well, it's not really a heist, but they're going to go out to the old Imperial shipyards where everything's being decommissioned and stripped down and, and torn away and thrown away and melted down for scrap, uh, and they're going to liberate some lab equipment, just like Aaliyah's done in the past when she got those ration bars that he missed so much, those yellow, weird-looking cookie things. The weird little biscuits. I guess they're biscuits, right? Um, so they do that, and they have the chat, and they, they share their real names with each other. For the first time in this in the time of this amnesty program, we see them tell them 
their names, right? They had just been letters and numbers before that. Now, on this ship, they have this another moment of, of bonding, of connection, where they share their real names with each other. And they talk to each other as, as people do, right? So they sort of instill their identities back to them. But, <laughs> uh, you know, as much as I enjoyed the, the sequence on the train and all these various elements, I couldn't help but feel for Dr. Pershing by the end of this episode because of the betrayal of, of, Aaliyah, of Aaliyah Kane. She goads him into this whole thing. It's, it's basically entrapment because as they make their way off the Star, Star Destroyer, they are arrested. More particularly, he is arrested, and she grabs the, 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 the case full of items and heads over to New Republic Security and stands with them. So this, it's, it's fully entrapment here, right? Like, this is, this is, she instigated this entire situation. Now, now we have to ask ourselves, I, this is where I ask myself a lot of questions. All right? Is she doing this? At to, to as they say later in the episode, as as Doctor Pershing is being hooked up to the quote unquote mind flare, not the mind flare we know from Rogue One, but an actual mechanical device that's used to sort of deprogram the Imperial indoctrination, uh, which is hilariously run by a, a Mon Calamari, uh, who Doctor Pershing says, "I <laughs> it was a trap too." That was kind of funny. I, I enjoyed that that little uh, reference to the great Admiral Ibar himself. Um. <laughs> But, I mean, Pershing's right. He was completely entrapped. Like, she provoked this entire situation. So what's, what, is, what is her motivation? What is she doing this for? What is the reason why? Is it to ingratiate herself to the New Republic? Is she, um, and as the one scientist said, you know, looking for the weak links in the amnesty program so they can get reprogrammed and, and not go back to their, their imperial tendencies? Is that, what's re- is that what she's really doing? Is she working, perhaps, behalf on on New Republic intelligence? Um, who you know? I don't know. The other idea, obviously, because when that man, when the attendant leaves the room, uh, and she just cranks the dial up on the mind flare to like massive dose of of whatever voltage of of currency they're shooting through him. Um, <laughs> I, I have to. I also had to wonder: is like, is she still in the employ of Moff Gideon? Is she doing this on Gideon's behalf? Is she taking out people who ultimately brought about his downfall as, as sort of a payback, as sort of a, a vengeance? Like, he's still pulling the strings. Which led me to a larger question. How many of these former Imperials that are part of the quote-unquote amnesty program could be under the sway of Moff Gideon still? And they're there as plants. They're there to destabilize and, and overthrow the New Republic government immediately. Like, perhaps Moff Gideon has plans for a coup in place by putting these plants throughout the amnesty program in positions uh, where they could do a lot of good. So perhaps Leah, Leah Kane is ingratiating herself to the New Republic to gain more status, to be put in a position where she can help Moff Gideon's plans from within, is also what I'm wondering. Um, that seems like the obvious answer. Again, with, with Gideon's fate so far uh, up, you know, so, it's such a mystery... You know, we can only speculate, we can only wonder, but there's something nefarious going on. There's there's some dark purpose happening in the middle of Coruscant, in the center of, of the New Republic government. Um, and again, this might be one of the reasons why down the road, you know, in, in the time of The Force Awakens, the, the New Republic is centered on Hazian Prime as opposed to Coruscant. 
they're, 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 this might be one of the reasons why they move the center of government around uh, to, to make sure that these sort of things can't happen. At least, again, I'm, I am speculating wildly, which is not something we like to do on the show a ton, but it is something that we do. Uh, so a, lo- a lot of questions as, as Aaliyah Kane uh, chews on her uh, ration biscuit of watching Dr. Pershing get his mind flayed. Uh, and, and what sort of shape will Pershing be in when he comes out of this? You know, is again, is this done on Gideon's behalf? He's getting back at people who, who aided his downfall? Or, you know, we will have to wait and see what the, what the ultimate fate is here. And I'd, I'd love to hear your opinions on it. Please reach out and, and, and hit me up if there's any... Uh, area that I didn't cover that you think might be uh, fertile ground to explore moving forward with the story. Uh, so now we cut back to Din Djarin and Bo-Katan as they have made their escape from Imperial forces. And now we go to the secret location of the Mandalorian Covert. And it is not on Concordia, as was, was initially speculated in Episode 1. It is a hidden location. And they arrive, and, and Paz Vizsla not stoked to see them. Pax Vizsla. It's Pax this time around. But they claim to have the living waters. Din claims to have a vial of the living waters to prove that he was there in the minds of Mandalore and that he has been absolved of his sins and is once more Mandalorian and walking the way. Uh, the armorer confirms this. They, she drops the water into like that little tank that we've seen her do before when she's going to treat Beskar. And it confirms that, indeed, Din Djarin has been bathed in the living waters. Bo-Katan is the witness to this, and he is apostate no longer. Also, as decreed by the armorer, since Bo-Katan bathed in the waters to rescue Din Djarin as he plummeted to the caverns, which I think Bo definitely mentions this on purpose. I think this was very, very aware on her part. Like, she says, oh, yeah, I dove in after him, and I still got my helmets on, so check that out. Like, I think this is this is Bo working the system here, all right? So, as decreed by the armor after this revelation, Bo-Katan is absolved of her sins and is apostate no longer and is welcomed back into the Children of the Watch. And as the episode ends, as all the other Mandalorians are congratulating them on being back in the covert, Bo-Katan glances at the Beskar sigil on the wall of the mighty Mythosaur. And we have to speculate that Bo-Katan, the wheels are spinning. Bo-Katan, who lost her, her, her forces, lost her home, um, might now be in a position to take the Children of the Watch from the armor, take the Darksaber from Din Djarin, and now have the forces she needs to reclaim Mandalore for herself. This is where my mind goes initially. But I could be wrong. But I doubt it. <laughs> so I, I'm really excited to see what happens moving forward. It does seem like Bo is starting to play games within games, wheels within wheels. You know, I love those kind of plots and machinations. Um, and yeah, I think I think Bo is starting to game the system. Like I said, I don't think it was... Uh, an accident that she mentions, oh yeah, and I dove in after him. So look at me. I got all up in the waters too. Look at me. Hey, check it out. Helmet's still on. So I think Bo is playing the system. And I think the armorer better watch her back. Because uh, Bo-Katan is uh, coming for power. And again, this is, this, this is 
again, this is the speculation. You know, we talked about last week that maybe she would um, sort of mentor Din Djarin moving forward, but I'm not so sure her actions this week sort of seem to indicate she has other plans. It's still a possibility. I'd still like to see that happen. I'd still like to see more of a partnership between these two, between Din, between Bo-Katan. But I think conflict is going to be the inevitable uh, uh, dance that they, that they dance. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Dance that they dance. I'll go with that one. Um, because conflict is fun. Conflict is great storytelling. Uh, and again, when you have a person who is craving power versus the person who doesn't want power, well, that's interesting conflict as well because who will the people gravitate towards? Who will be the better leader? The one who wants it or the one who doesn't? And, you know, we've seen that story of a million times, but it's fun to explore, and we're going to get to explore it with Mandalorians, our favorite bucket-headed warriors, and I cannot wait to see how this shakes out. So I'm really, really excited about that. It's going to be excellent. <laughs> I can't wait. going to be great. Uh, this is a really solid episode of the show. Again, I think a lot of people initially are frustrated that we cut away from Din and Bo-Katan's journey uh, to focus on the goings-on on Coruscant, to focus on Dr. Pershing, uh, without getting a lot of insight into, like... I think a lot of people, if we were going to touch back with Pershing, we wanted to know more of what he was doing with Grogu, specifically. Not just about, like, the, the cloning research for, for making organs. Uh, so I think a lot of people initially seem to be uh, frustrated with this episode because of that. But there's a lot in this episode to, to kind of set the table for th things to come in future episodes of this season. So this might be an episode that we look back on down the road and be like, okay, this is where they put X, Y, and Z in place for what happens in chapters 6, 7, and 8. You know, so let's... let's every, if you're not happy with this episode, pump the brakes a little bit, give it a chance to breathe, wait, see what happens down the road, and then we'll look back on this one, and you might you might be like, oh, yeah, they really did do a good job of, of kind of setting the table here. So I give it eight buckets. It's a... It's... It's... It's different, and I like the shift in, I like the shifting gears on the storytelling here. You know, starting to, to pull back, look at the galaxy as a bigger picture, as a bigger whole, uh, and, and just where the Mandalorians are going to fit into it moving forward. Uh, again, I think they're starting to tease really big things here, and I like that a lot. I was witness. He fell into the depths, and I pulled him out. He speaks the truth. These are indeed the living waters. Dinjarin, you are redeemed. This is the way. This is the way. And Bo-Katan Kree's. By creed, you too are redeemed. But I do not walk the way. Did you bathe in the waters? I did. And have you removed your helmet since? No, I have not. Then you may join our covert and live as your ancestors once did. You may leave any time you wish. Until then, you are one of us. Welcome, Bo-Katan of Clan Crees. This is the way. This is the way. All right, that's all I've got to say about The Mandalorian for this week. Let's switch gears to Star Wars The Bad Batch, Season 2, Episode 13, Pabu. Original air date March 15th, 2023. Written by Amanda Rose Munoz. Directed by Stuart Lee. 
Our cast is D. Bradley Baker, Michelle Ang, Wanda Sykes, and Rhea Perlman. Our plot this week, the team takes refuge and finds new allies. So, it's been 20 rotations, and no word, you better be dead. Because your absence has cost me a few scores. Remember our mutually beneficial arrangements, and how well we know one another, if you know what I mean. You do well to not assume I am just threatening you, boys. You didn't mention you cut ties with Sid. Our mutually beneficial arrangement wasn't so beneficial. Mutually. Figure that out, did you? I've known Sid a long time. She's a useful ally, but not someone you want to cross. Do you have a plan? You're looking at it. In that case, you all are coming with me. Head to these coordinates, brown eyes. So this week's episode of Star Wars The Bad Batch, much like The Mandalorian, is a bit of a, a shifting gears on things. Uh, we shift back to uh, Hunter, Wrecker, and, and Tech, and Omega, uh, as opposed to last week's jaunt with, with Crosshair. Um, but I think, again, it's a, it's a markedly different episode in, in, the, in the simple sort of uh, side mission-based show that uh, it's often being accused of, be, of being, uh, simply because like this one, it takes a different tenor, because instead of dealing with uh, some sort of external threat, they're dealing with a natural disaster in this case. They, they go to this planet Pabu, uh, which appears to be a safe haven from all their uh, extra-galactic issues, um, specifically with the Empire, of course. And now that they've cut ties with Sid, Sid has information on them that could be of value to the Empire to put people on their trail. So uh, Pabu sort of becomes like a, a potential sanctuary for them. Uh, and there, again, there is there is a threat to overcome, but it's internal. It is uh, a, a giant sea wave, right? It's a tsunami that will that will affect the uh, the island uh, that Pabu basically exists on. I mean, it seems like basically a water world, and uh, the, the Pabu is centered on this one giant mountain island, right? With a seawall and all these things around it. Um, but the seawall, you know, they, they, as as Pabu's grown, they've grown beyond the seawall. So when the tsunami's coming. There's a lot of people, a lot of lives in danger, and the Bad Batch is there to help. But what is neat about this episode, again, is that they sort of find a sanctuary, a safe haven, a place to sort of live life, lay low, uh, with, with good people where they can get invested in, in helping them and aiding them. It's a, it's, small, it's a small thing, right? But they're able to lay low. Omega's there with people her own age. Omega makes a friend in this episode. And... Um, it also shows us another light on Fee, right? Because because Fee has to this point has been portrayed as a as sort of a pirate, despite the fact that uh, to the contrary, she pre presents herself as a liberator of uh, like ancient antiquities and, and, and cultures and things like that. And that's what she's doing on. Uh, that's how she knows Pabu. These people, the this this culture on Pabu is based around uh, refugees, right? People from different parts of the galaxy, different planets, different situations, uh, and she's bringing them artifacts that she's recovering from their cultures uh, to put in like a museum for all of them to, to enjoy on this planet. So it's a very, again, we get to see Fee in a different light. Uh, the Bad Batch finds that there is a, a place that they can go, not worry about the Empire because Pabu is way off their Empire's radar. There's no resources them for them to covet and come after. And, and 
again, it's they're they're generally welcome there. They're they're not outcasts. They're welcome to the community, and they see that they can be of service, especially after the sea wave destroys so many of the homes outside of the seawall. The batch finds themselves in a position where they can stay and help these people. Um, that's sort of like the overarching element of the of the show. <laughs> but I want to go back and <laughs> to the very beginning because I love the opening of this episode. Uh, I'm a big fan of it because it's very Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom opening. Uh, in fact, the Arabesh in this episode that opens it up says that it is it is Club Laoche, which is the name of the club. Well, I'm sorry, Laoche is the bad guy. In Temple of Doom, obviously it's Club Obi-Wan in Temple of Doom, but having to be Club Laoche, come on, what are we doing here, people? And again, it's sort of a, a very similar exchange, right? You have Fee and Omega at the table, uh, the, 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 the row of gang, helmeted gangsters, not the buckets that we know and love of the Mandalorians, but a different kind of bucket, uh, uh, as they have this, this artifact that Fee is attempting to acquire. Uh, they send out one of those death slugs from Episode 2 to kill Fee. That's when Hunter springs into action. So it's like Temple of Doom, but uh, this time Indy's got more backup in, in the form of, of Wrecker and, and Hunter. <laughs> and Omega, too. Omega uh, fends for herself quite well in this episode as well. Uh, but it, it is reminiscent of that, the, you know, the fact that the, the uh, gangsters attempt to poison Fee, but Fee, smart to, to, to detect it before just chugging that drink, <laughs> unlike Indy. Uh, but again, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun little callback to Temple of Doom. It, it's not uh, a, a shot-for-shot shot recreation or anything like that, but it's a, it's a nice little homage to the opening of Temple of Doom. And it's sort of a great way for us to kind of reconnect with Fee and, and see her with Omega at her side, teaching her the art of negotiation uh, and the subtleties of all, all the intricacies of, of Fee's lifestyle. But it's after they escape this planet with the artifact recovered safely uh, that we find out that they have a fit, they have sort of unofficially cut ties from Sid. They haven't checked in, they haven't reported back, and Sid's not too happy about it. And and that's where that opening uh, bit of dialogue that we played comes from, right? Uh, Sophie takes them to Pabu, a place where they can lay low. Sid won't be able to find them. The Empire can't find them, and they connect with this with this planet's uh, culture and lifestyle, right? It's, uh, I don't know, it's, 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 again, I think this episode will get the same sort of criticism that The Mandalorian does, where it's like, it's not action-based, it's not uh, leaning into the mythology of, of any of the big things that they're trying to set up. But I think what this does is this puts us in a place where, since at the end of the episode, the Bad Batch is deciding to stay on Pabu to help these people rebuild, we can now shift our focus to other parts of the story, without wondering what the Bad Batch is up to. We know they're going to be on Pabu. I would not be shocked if next week's episode we connect with, we connect with, um, excuse me, with Echo and Rex and see what's going on on there and the things as they are attempting to help people in a, in a different sense, on a larger sense in the, in, in the galaxy, uh, evade the Empire, escape the Empire. Uh, you know, perhaps they're, they're, they're uh, have like an underground clone railroad thing going on where they're getting clones out helping clone deserters before they get forcibly retired or, or, or perhaps even worse. I mean, would it be uh, shocking to find out that instead of, of you know, quote-unquote retiring these clones, they were just dumping them in mass graves after executing them? Would that shock anybody for the Empire? It wouldn't shock me much. So I wouldn't be too surprised if we spend the next couple of episodes shifting gears between uh, Hunter and, and Rex 
and and Crosshair, who's now on Wayland, and what his role is going forward. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't connect with the Batch for a little bit here. Um, two, you know, two three episodes wouldn't shock me at all. You know, while we know that they're on Pabu doing this rebuilding, you know, and we've seen the changes they've been making to their armor, the customizations, how they're each beginning to express their identities and their personalities differently. Uh, and this also allows us to, when we reconnect with them, that they will be uh, affected by their time on Pabu. You know, they've been soldiers for so long that it's hard for them to shift gears into anything else. Uh, a tech sort of implied this, right? That uh, in this very episode, you know, like, why does Echo need friends? We didn't have friends growing up. We were just fine. We we're soldiers, blah, blah, blah. This is going to change them. I think this might start to give those three in particular sort of the perspective they need to realize that there's more they could be doing as as Echo tried to tell them earlier in this season. So I think that's why this is an important episode because this is this is going to be the episode that helps them shift their perspective and realize like again they they very begrudgingly came to accept that that things with Sid weren't good. Um, and, and uh, but again, instead of officially quitting, they just sort of leave. <laughs> but this episode, I think, is is going to be very impactful for them. Uh, when we reconnect with them, I suspect they will be different. They will be changed. Uh, Wrecker could have hair. Who knows? Like <laughs> it could be a whole new thing going on with the Bad Batch when we reconnect with them, uh, and when they decide they have to get back out into the fight. Because I would imagine they'll find out that Crosshair's uh, in mixed up in something he shouldn't be in. Or Echo and, and Rex get into some sort of trouble and they need help. There will be a situation that draws the batch out, but their their point of view will have changed from their time on Pabu, I suspect. So that's that's all I really want to talk about in this episode because it's, it's a pretty straightforward one. And I think, again, I think it's going to be one of these ones where by the end of the season we look back at Pabu as sort of a turning point. Uh, uh, it, it, it sets the table for a lot of things moving forward. And, and basically by being able with this episode to sideline the batch for a few episodes and us not be like, Oh, they're just running missions for Sid. No, no, no. They're in a different place now. Uh, spiritually, emotionally, physically, whatever you want to, however you want to term it. And when the time, when the time comes for them to, to be reintegrated back into the show, they will have had very different experiences on Pabu removed from the war, removed from running missions, uh, just working day to day, helping people, uh, with their day to day lives and, and, and sort of becoming part of a community. I think that's going to affect them. Uh, so we, again, I think we will look back at the end of the season as Pabu, the Pabu episode as sort of a turning point. So again, if you, if you sort of struggle with this one, cause it's not in the mythology, it's not super action oriented. Um, I urge you to be patient <laughs> and, 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 and give it a shot. Cause uh, I think it's going to pay off gangbusters. Again, we're rocketing towards that season finale uh, for the, for, for the bad batch. And, I, I've enjoyed this season. You know, there have been some ups and downs, but more ups than downs by by far. I think season one was a little bit more inconsistent. We we seem to have, you know, it's taken the batch a little while to get their their bearings and and, and what their role's going to be, but they're getting there and they're figuring it out, and that's a good thing. So I I, I give this one, I give this one, again, I I might be forecasting a little bit too much here. I'm going to give it eight buckets because I, I like the fact that it was a natural disaster. I liked the Indiana Jones callback. Um, I liked I liked seeing the, the batch in a very different situation. So I like this episode quite a bit. And again, I may, I may be uh, putting my, my, my speculation a little bit too much in this episode because I do think it'll be 
one that we look back on and see a lot of uh, positive uh, changes occur with this one. Um, but I, I found it enjoyable. I liked it a lot. And I liked the, the giant tsunami thing. I thought it was cool. The great visuals. Great visuals in the season. They've been doing a bang-up job with the with the, the, the the visual effects and CG animation in this in this series series overall. But in this season in particular, they've, they've really uh, added some really spectacular touches to it. And I've, I've liked it quite a bit. You know, a very harrowing rescue on Hunter's part with... Uh, Omega and her friend as they're stuck out and as the ocean ocean has receded back to form the giant wave. Ah, great stuff. Really, really good. I give it eight buckets. So eight and eight for both shows this week. You know, they, they change gears, I think, very effectively. Uh, they're, you know, the Mandalorian's case, they pull back to show us more of the galaxy at large. Uh, in, in, in the Bad Batch's case, they kind of go small. Uh, they, they show us one planet, one, one particular society uh, and, and, and how that's going to affect the Batch. So... Uh, they change gears differently in different ways, but I think it's going to be very, very effective setting the table for the episodes moving forward. Um, I think it's six episodes. No, 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 no. I think it's like four episodes of the Bad Batch are left. So we we got a lot of ground to cover over that over that time when we check back in with them. And then again, remember remember with the Mandalorian, it's only eight episodes, and we're already three in. So you know we we're we're rocketing towards a conclusion for that show as well. In, in, in pretty quick, pretty quick pace here. Uh, I did like the runtime on the Mandalorian a lot. I love that this was a longer episode. It gave it a chance to breathe. It gave it that relationship between uh, between Kane and Pershing a chance to sort of uh, uh, flourish a little bit more. Again, I know people are going to say it was slow, um, but I think you need to give it some breathing room. Much like Andor's, uh, this episode required some breathing room, uh, and that's what we got in this episode. Uh, and again, we bookended it with Bo and Din. And I'm okay with that too. So good stuff. Let's keep it going. These seasons have been really enjoyable. Uh, and and we will be back next week to cover even more Mandalorian goodness and Bad Batch goodness. And just a little programming note, uh, it will be out. The, the, the reviews, my recap shows, will be out on Thursday next week as well. All right? So I think with that being said, we're going to get the heck out of here. My name is Tom. Nargai Tom. This is the Mandivision Podcast. I thank you all so, so much for taking in the time to download, share, and support this show. Um, small independent shows like us, we need all the help we can get, and we truly, truly thank our, our dedicated and loyal listeners, the Buckethead Nation. You guys are the best. Make sure you're also following us on social media at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Email the show, MandivisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. And if you're uh, inclined, five-star reviews so insanely helpful thank you thank you thank you all right let's get out of here you know what that means this podcast it only ends one way my friends this is the way this is the way this is the way this is the way way.